Uh, we started a study in the book of James, but today we're going to be in the book of uh, 1 Peter, okay? So find 1 Peter. But we're going to continue the theme. James started this, and so we're going to continue this whole matter of trials. And in uh, James chapter uh, 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And we talked about that uh, last week, trials uh, that come our way. But it is the theme of much of the letters of the New Testament, and that's because so many of God's people were undergoing trials and testings and persecutions uh, of the severest nature. And James helps provide us insight and instruction on that. But then we also look and see that Peter takes that same theme in his letter, 1 Peter, to his people. Both of them communicate some, what I believe are essential truths for us to understand when we're going through uh, trials or we're facing tests that uh, uh, shake our life or rock our uh, faith. George Mueller, the great prayer warrior, said this, to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. He said, I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testing. Now, there are some of you who are in this audience today, and there are some of you who are joining us by television, others by radio and live stream, and you, your faith is being rocked right now. You're going through something, you're facing some trial or some test or some difficulty, and it is rocking you. And the Bible has a lot to say to help us when we are in those places. Edmund Clowney said that trials should not, however, surprise us. Uh, they shouldn't cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. But instead, uh, we should actually uh, welcome them. God sends trials, he says, to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting they burn away our self-confidence, and they drive us to our Savior. And we are reminded of that, uh, that we can become either better from our trials or we can become bitter because of our trials. And it's all part of understanding what's going on and what to do when they come, particularly those that just rock us, that just shake our faith. And so I want to talk with you about those kinds of trials today. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. I've already shared with you James 1 and verse uh, 2, so let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 3. This is what Peter writes to these brothers and sisters. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, Father, we're so grateful for your word that instructs us, Father, that comforts us, and Father, that helps us gain perspective when our faith has been rocked. Lord, I pray that this morning you will do just that with your word. I give you my mind, Father. I give you my thoughts. I give you my words. Lord, I give you all the study that's gone into this. I present it to you to ask you this morning to use that which we talk about, to have upon it the sweet aroma of your Holy Spirit. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable now to you, O Lord God, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, James, as we talked about uh, last week, uh, and we'll get back, okay? We're gonna, in fact, let me just go ahead and tell you, I'm going to do this throughout this series, okay? So we may start in James one week, and the next week we may be in a completely different book, but it's James' fault if we do, because he's going to send us into a lot of different places in the Scripture that are worth talking about because of the things that he introduces. I don't think I told you this, but... We believe that the book of James, or the letter of James, may be the earliest of all the New Testament books that was written. And so he kind of addresses some things right out of the gates with them, but here we are 20 years later when Peter writes his letter to these Christians, 20 years after James had written his letter, and guess what he's writing to them about? He's writing to them about persecution, about suffering, about trials, and about the fiery kinds of trials that come our way, the things that will uh, rock our faith. Did you notice that he said there in verse 6, if you've been grieved for a little while, you know, he said if your faith has been shaken or you've been rocked for uh, just a little while, and he said, and I love what he says, he says just a little while because there's so much more ahead and there's so much more to come. And so he was writing, Peter was writing to to believers that were living under the same kind of things that James had written to them about. And he writes to encourage them to stay the course in the midst of the fiery trials, the soul-shaking kinds of trials that they were being bombarded with. Their trials came to them because of their faith. Their trials were because of how their faith stood out against the flow of the social order of their day. And their trials came because of the religious paganism of their days. You see, they wouldn't just go along with the religious uh, uh, flow of the day. And that's really what got many of the, of the early Christians in trouble in their age, is that they were being instructed just to to go along with all kinds of religious tolerance and they were being instructed by the culture to accept as normal the abnormal ways of society. They were being told that they needed to affirm and agree with the thought police of their day and they couldn't do it. 
You see, the Roman Empire would have allowed the Christian church to exist if it would just simply tolerate everything else in the culture. And different from the the many different religions of that day, Christianity said there's only one God. If Christians would have just said, no, there there are many paths and many gods then they would not have come under the testings and the trials that they came under. Rome would have said, that's right, just go along with the spirit of the age. But the Christians couldn't do that because they understood there is one God and only one God. They understood that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one could get to the Father except by him. And they would not bend, they would not bow down to the paganism and the the social order of the day. They weren't trying to antagonize the day. They weren't trying to uh, 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 create a, a, a fight or pick a fight or anything like that. But they would not bow to the zeitgeist, if you will, the spirit of that age. And because of that, they were unacceptable in the culture that they, they lived in. They lived under, I don't know, if you've ever read, if you haven't read this book, you ought to read, read this book, by George Orwell, 1984. It's not a Christian book. It's a classic, by the way. And you ought to read that book, especially now, because you will think that he was a prophet when he wrote that book decades and decades ago. And he talks about something in the book. It is, again, a novel. He talks about something that monitored the culture. And they, they were called the thought police. And the thought police's task was to monitor what the people were saying or affirming. And if they didn't affirm what the society said they ought to affirm, guess what? They were ostracized. They were... Uh, by the way, they were in some cases killed. I, I mean, when you, you need to read it if you haven't read it, and you'll say, wow, how did he know? I'm not sure he did, but he was a smart enough man to write something that, uh, uh, that you go, wow, that is eerily similar to the age in which we are thinking, uh, are living. Now, that was true in, when Peter wrote to these Christians in the first century that they were They were under assault. They were facing trials. They were facing testings. And many of them, many of the testings and challenges that they faced just rocked their faith completely. And trials can can come to us in various different ways. In fact, let me give you four ways that that trials uh, sometimes come to us. I don't I don't know if I put this on your outline, so turn it over on the back and, because you, you're going to need this. Now, I, I told you last week there are four things that everybody ought to know about trials, but t- uh, let me give you four sources, you might say, of trials. First of all, some trials are self-induced. I really wish I didn't have to put that one on the list, but sometimes we bring things on ourselves. It may be the result of some bad decision, Or it could be the result of what, well, the Greek word is this, of some dumb behavior. And as a result of that, these trials come upon us. Now listen to me. God can use any trial however it got there, okay? So even when you have, uh, you're just living with the results or the consequences of something, some decision you made that wasn't of God, uh, you just made it, uh, some bad behavior that you have lived out and you're, you're living with the consequences. Of it. By, by the way, don't lose heart 
Because God can still take you forward. And God can cause all things to work together for good, okay? He can cause something good to come from that. But sometimes the source of our trials, is our, they're just simply uh, uh, self-induced. Uh, and when that's the case, learn from these, live with, uh, with them and through them, but go forward with God. The second source, you might say, of trials is that some trials are societally induced, Some are self-induced, but some are uh, induced because of the society that you live in. They are the result of a godless, broken world, and a broken, godless world will always assault righteousness and truth. This was the case for men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Paul, John, and most of the believers in the New Testament, in particular those that we're talking about today. And we're beginning to see this kind of unprecedented testing in our life, in America. For the first time in our history, we're starting to see this kind of societally induced kind of testing and uh, even persecution for identifying with Christ. Now, by the way, you can identify today in this culture with anything and everything you want to identify with, and it's supposed to be acceptable unless you identify with Jesus Christ. And that's the way it was when Peter wrote. We've never seen a crackdown on, on things like our speech, like we're beginning to see, and by the way, will only escalate. You see, unless there's a fresh move of God, there are some things you can expect. Let me just give you some things you can expect that are going to rock or test the genuineness of the faith of the people that confess to follow Christ. You can expect in the future an increased restriction on your First Amendment constitutional right to, freak, uh, to, to speak freely. Now, it's going to be masked. It's going to be masked uh, as a speech that it goes against the grain of a woke culture and what the culture has defined as what's acceptable speech. Ironically, those who for decades screamed that they ought to have the freedom to say whatever they wanted are now the ones that are restricting the free, the free speech of those that they disagree with. And uh, what's going to happen is uh, you're going to continue to see more and more of this. We're already seeing it. In, I, I have a whole file full of articles, of examples of where this is happening. I just don't even have time to even go into them. There, there are that many where, where your, your freedom to express yourself is being uh, restricted. It's going to get worse. It's going to get wor- and here's how they'll get around the Constitution. What they'll begin to do is redefine the Constitution. You know, there are two kinds of constitutionalists. There are what we call living constitutionalists, and there are what we call strict constructionalists. The the strict constructionist constitutional view is that the the Constitution speaks and it means what it says. The living constitutionalist says, no, no, that was written 200 plus years ago. We're so much further down the road. We're so much smarter. And therefore, the Constitution has evolved, and we just have to reinterpret it. It's a living document that we reinterpret. So this is how they will get away with restrictions on free speech. They'll say, oh, that's hate speech, and the Constitution doesn't protect hate speech. That's how they'll come after the pulpit. That's how they'll come after our churches, among other ways. But expect more of that. Well, I need to move on. Expect... 
an increase in restrictions on your First Amendment constitutional rights to freely exercise your religion. Now, I don't know if you've paid attention the last several years. There's a new phrase being used, especially by progressives and leftists that go like this. Well, we believe it's okay to have the freedom of worship. Now, that's how you, most people go, oh, well, that's, that's okay. Folks, that's a dangerous statement because what it's saying is we're going to restrict your ability to express your faith outside of the boundaries of your building. Eventually, they'll say you can't even express it in your building. By the way, do you know that's what Hitler did? He told the church, y'all just relax. You do your thing. I'll do the government thing. And by the way, I, I'm going to bring a message on that down the road. <clears throat> but Hitler just said, y'all do your thing. He met with all the church leaders of, the, uh, of his day. He said, y'all do your thing. Oh, I'm behind you. I'm with you. You just do your thing in, in the church and let me do the government thing. And then we'll, all, we'll just get along together. But it didn't happen in time. He said, you can no longer do the church thing. We're going to tell you what you can do. It's where we're headed. And when you hear the uh, words, well, I believe in freedom of worship, don't swallow that. The Constitution guarantees you the freedom to freely express your faith anywhere. Anyway, and by the way, let me just go ahead and say it while I'm stepping in a bunch of stuff. It is a lie that this culture has believed that the church must be separated from the government. I'll talk about it down the road, but it, it is, it, that's a lie. I have a book in my, my, I hadn't planned to talk about all this. I have a book in my study. It's that thick. I'm going to bring it in and show you when I talk about this. And you know what it is? It's political sermons delivered in the churches in America during the American Revolution. Don't ever say that the church has always been separate from the government. The government is to be separate from the church, but not the other way around. That is not the doctrine of separation. I don't have time to go into that. That's probably enough right now. But one day what you're going to hear is the church is the enemy of the state because, in fact, this has happened in some places already, because they will say they are inciting hate because they don't affirm what the culture has already affirmed. And if you don't affirm it, church, you become an enemy of the state and we will be labeled a terrorist organization. Did you know there are some have already done that? Expect that. You can expect punitive action to be taken in the workplace against those who openly affirm their relationship with Christ. That's already happening. Some of you probably have already experienced that. You can expect a growing hostility of the academic institutions towards students who wish to gather just together on their campuses for Christian fellowship and study. And this will include things, we've seen it already, like wearing clothing or items like crosses or anything that reflects Christ or the name of Jesus, and that will be expunged from any kinds of discussions. We're seeing this. And if you don't realize that, you, there's a there's vast amounts of illustrations where this is already happening in America. You never thought it would, but it is. 
And these are just a few of the things coming. These people, these things are coming. They're already arriving, but we haven't begun to see, unless there's a move of God, we have not yet, uh, yet seen the magnitude of what is coming our way. In 2015, before Billy Graham died, he issued a written warning to America's churches. Billy Graham. And this is what he said, quote, prepare for persecution. And then he penned a commentary that appeared in Decision Magazine later in November of that year. And in the article, Dr. Graham noted that the American church, and these were his words, has been largely unfamiliar with persecution. And he goes on to write, and I quote, immunity to persecution that Christians in our country have experienced in the past two or three centuries is unusual. The immunity that we've had. As a whole, our nation does not know what privation is. We do not know what sacrifice is. We do not know what suffering is. Suppose persecution were to come to the church in America as it has come in other countries. Since we have experienced little religious persecution in this country, it is likely that under pressure, many will deny Christ Those, he says, his words that shout the loudest about their faith may surrender the soonest. These things are here. Sometimes trial and test comes from society. It's induced. And then third, some are satanically induced. Uh, Some of them are just demonic. Some of them are directly uh, aimed at your life by Satan. Uh, Sometimes, as a believer, God allows the devil to rock you, to rock your faith, to produce a faith that's pure as gold, Peter says. They are God-allowed. Job is an example, right? Job is an example. You know the story of Job. Job is an example of where God allowed Satan to assault his life. There is Peter. You know the story of Peter. And you remember on one occasion Jesus said to Peter, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. And Peter said, here's some good news. He said, but I prayed for you. That afterwards you will will rise up and strengthen the brethren. And he has with a letter like this, hasn't he? But his faith was rocked. Some are satanically induced. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 10 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Then listen, Peter writes, Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that, listen, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, there he is again. You you go back to verse 6 in our text. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. And then he says it again over here in chapter 5. And after you have suffered a little while. 
The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Listen, folks, <clears throat> he's just reminding us that sometimes it's a little while, it's a satanic attack. Sometimes the trials in your life, the tests in your life are from hell. And now, <clears throat> hey, and let me, let me add something. When your faith is being tested, God, God can be the author. I'll talk about that in a minute. God may allow it, but God can use all of it. But now hear this. Sometimes it's directly the assault of the devil. And the devil can't come after you without the permission of your father. So, here's what I want you to know. So, God is always in control. God can do something and will do something through the trials or the tests. But can I tell you this? Do you know the devil will try to seize on every test himself as well? So, if it is a test from you made some decision or bad behavior, right? Self-induced. Do you think the devil will still try to get in on that? Do like this. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it is societally induced. It's the result of the broken, fallen culture you're living in that, by the way, is under the control, the prince and power of this world, the devil. Do you think the devil will try to use and manipulate society to undermine the kingdom of God? And then, of course, we know that to be the case, as Peter says in chapter 5, about those that are satanically induced. So, what do we do? We... We have to understand the sources, but we also have to, we have to be encouraged by the fact that we know that God is still involved and that we have an armor to put on. The full armor of God, Ephesians 6, we don't have time. I've preached through that many times over the years, but go back and, and read Ephesians 6, the full armor. Listen, <clears throat> why, is it the full, why is the full armor so important? Because if you put on part of the armor, the devil will find where you don't have the armor on. Do you all know the myth- mythological story of Achilles? You know, the myth- his mom dipped him in the river to protect him. And um, the only place that she couldn't dip him was where she was holding him. She was holding him by the Achilles, the heel, and she dipped him. And uh, you know how he died? An arrow to the heel. Because it was the unguarded place. Well, that's mythology, but I want to tell you something. The devil is roaming about looking for the vulnerability. That's what he's looking for. And he'll take you down right there. And so we have to put on the full armor of God. And then let me, number four, some are spiritually induced. Some are spiritually induced. And here's what I mean by that. These are not only allowed by God, they are given by God. And they are given for the purpose of building your faith in order for you to carry out the reason that God created you and put you on this planet. Some of them are... 
I mentioned last week the diaspora, the dispersion of the saints in the book of Acts. It was a result of persecution. Do you know what? That was God. We say, what? What, what, what? what, is, what was God doing? God, God sent the circumstances of persecution so that it would disperse the church. So it would actually send the gospel throughout Asia Minor, through the Roman Empire. I, I know, I, I know if you're one of those being persecuted, you're not going, wow, <laughs> this is a chance for us to go plant a church in another nation. I, I get that. We never know. <clears throat> the Bible says no suffering is pleasant, no discipline is pleasant. None of that stuff is pleasant in the moment. And I don't even know if in their lifetime we have the luxury of being able to look back, but <clears throat> I don't even know in their lifetime. Y'all quit worrying about the outline, okay? We'll, we'll get there. If we don't get there today, we'll get there next week. Amen? <laughs> Y'all were a little too enthusiastic about it. Let's do it next week, Pastor. Because <laughs> <clears throat> But I, I don't even know if in their lifetime even when they went throughout the then-known world and started churches because of the trials that had rocked their faith and the persecution that had rocked their faith back in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, I don't know if they said, <clears throat> we've been looking for an opportunity to go plant churches throughout the Roman Empire. I, I, I suspect they didn't. And, and maybe throughout their life they didn't go, oh, yeah, now I get it. Because people died for their faith to do that. So I don't know that they, they ever... And, and listen to me, I want to tell you this. Sometimes it's going to be eternity before you understand why. It'll be eternity sometime before you understand the why that your faith was rocked. And by the way, by the time you understand it, it won't matter. <laughs> you know, when, you, when, when we enter the kingdom of God, and that's what he's talking about, this a little while, this stuff is a little while, and it's hard, and it's grievous, but it's not forever. And one day in the kingdom, we'll look back, whether it's your physical trials, whether it's something from the society you're living in, we will look back, I'm convinced, And we'll say, doesn't really matter. We're not going to get into heaven. You've heard people kind of arrogantly say, well, I'll tell you what, when I get to heaven, I've got a few things I'm going to ask God. I have to bite my tongue when I hear that because I want to say to them, you really think you're going? I'm just saying, that kind of arrogance, I've, yeah, I'm going to have a little council meeting with God when I get there because there's some things he's got to clear up. Nobody walks in like that. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what's going to happen. Amen? And so, yeah.
we're, we're not going to walk in saying, I had this trial. I had this thing that shook my faith. And I would tell you, I would have been a better Christian if you would have just explained yourself. And that's why it's so important, as I said last week, that we frame, we frame, we gain perspective on why it is. There are some things that, you're, that have tested your soul, that have rocked your... There are people in this worship center today, and I know because we have talked about some things that rocked your life, rocked your, your, your faith, and rocked your family. I, I, I understand. You, you have it. And there are some of you that I know that are watching that have been there or are there right now, and you don't even know how to answer it. And sometimes, I want to tell you something, the preacher doesn't have the answer to say, oh, just, just going to be okay. But in heaven, nobody goes, well, finally. No, in heaven, what we do is we go, oh, now I see. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He said those will be the first words when we walk into the king. Oh, now, now I see. I got it. It's not that big a deal anyway. Now. But sometimes right here it is. What's going on? The devil is trying to undermine your life. The devil is trying to undermine your faith. But God is trying to fortify it. And by the way, you're still here because he's not finished yet. So he wants your faith to be fortified so he can use you for the purpose that he created you. So the trials come because they, 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 they build us. It's like when I was involved years ago in athletics, we had a weight program that we had to engage in. And the weight, I have to tell you something. I was one of the, I was a skinny kid. I was a skinny kid. By the way, I, I'm almost at my playing weight. I'm almost back at my playing weight. It's just that it's been distributed differently. But I was a skinny kid. My mom, I remember it was the coming out of the hip. I was well, it was the hippie era, some of the hippie era, and we wore these striped pants, bell-bottom pants. Anybody have some of those? I know you had leisure suits. My mom bought me a pair of striped pants. I was so skinny, it had one stripe on it. <laughs> That's not far from the truth. <laughs> and by the way, just since you were wondering, I'm here to say that I have now seen lots of pictures of my grandson, my oldest grandson, and he has inherited, inherited the bird legs of his granddaddy. <laughs> but we had this weight program where you had to work out the weight. You work out why? Because weights, weight, you start with a weight and you build up. So one day you can lift this, but you can't lift that when you start. Why? Because you are actually tearing muscle tissue, and that muscle tissue gets stronger, and then you can lift more, and that makes you more effective in the role or the position you play, and so it becomes very important. The, the, the pro but I hated it. I, I didn't want to do it. I think we had a few guys that probably were a little nutty, and they liked it, but I, I didn't want to do that. But I had to do that. 
My coach would say, okay, you, you got more reps for you, beanpole. He didn't say that. I, he was thinking it, though. And, and I would think, ah. And by the way, my body shape wasn't like the shape of some of my other uh, teammates who, who, could, who could build muscle faster. See, all of us spiritually don't build spiritual muscle as fast. And so it takes different kinds of regiments and trials and tests to build our faith to be exactly what God wants us to be. By the way, that's why you don't worry about what God may be doing in somebody else's life. You, you say, well, why, why, why doesn't... Why doesn't he have the trials that I have? I, you can argue something else. God knows you can endure what he has put. God, he knows you can endure the trial that rocks you. It'll rock you or it'll reveal you. Y'all just relax. I'm just, just going to unhitch in a minute and we'll do, the, we'll do this next week. This is, a, I think, a God thing. And it's taken me 40 decades to recognize that when it happens. But I think that's, that, so that's what we're going to do here this morning. And you pray for me because I don't know how it will come out in the next service. <clears throat> but the tests that come, Peter says, are to turn us in to something more precious and pure gold. And so, in some sense, that's why don't ever worry about what, what, God, why don't they go through things that I have to go through? It's a different workout program. And God tailor makes it to each of us so that we can accomplish what He's put us here to accomplish. Um, I will tell you, I want to tell you and really kind of wrap up with this. I want to tell you a story. I told you a week or so ago that I may share a story with you from Alice and I, from our life where our faith was rocked. And it was since I've been your pastor. Now, I didn't say our faith was removed, but it was rocked. There are some of you today, and that's where you are. Your faith is, is wobbly. It's rocked. There are some of you who are watching, and that's you. Your faith is rocked. Some of you are trying to really determine whether you even stay with the things of God. Allison's mother um, passed away. I Don't hold me to the... The year, I want to say eight, nine years ago. She was almost 88 years old, and uh, she had, uh, her health had begun to decline, but, but she, she had, she's a strong lady, a wonderful lady, loved God. And uh, she was very healthy. Uh, really, at 86, uh, we found her on a ladder cleaning her gutters out. I mean, that's, that's how... That's how 
good she was and how well she was. Now, we gave her instructions. <laughs> Don't do that again. Allison's an only child. She's here in Dothan. Her mom was north of Birmingham. And so you can imagine, you know, Allison is it. She's the, she's one. And so, but as she moved into her 87th year, she began to battle some, some things and she was still home and we never had to put her anywhere. And, um, but, and she was, she could manage herself. And, but toward the Toward the end of that 87th year, there became some pretty noticeable uh, declines. And I'm not going to go into all of what that was. But I will just tell you, by the way, my wife is my hero because she would get in her car and she would drive up there. uh, And she did this sometimes. You may not have seen her here at church. She was most usually she had gotten in the car and had uh, gone to her mother's to take care of her mom. So her mom had gotten confused about things. And and it would panic her mom, and Allison would just have to go. She just would have to go. And uh, you don't know how many times I prayed my wife to Birmingham and back. Sometimes she had, would return from a trip there only to get home literally uh, in, in the early evening and get a frantic call and have to get in her car and drive all the way back. Some of you have been there, and some of you are there, and, and she just, she's my hero. I told her this, I said, when I, get, when I get bad, I want you there, because that's who she is. And so at any rate, this went on for a long, long time, and, um, and she, Allison was just worn out, but she was so faithful. It's her mama. She's so faithful. Well, we finally progressed to the point in time where we, we felt like we're going to have to move her down here to Dothan. Um, she was just forgetting things. Uh, she didn't have uh, Alzheimer's. She probably had a mild kind of dementia, but she was, would get confused. And we had people coming in with her and all that kind of stuff. But we finally realized we're just going to have to move her down here where we can, be, we can have access to her. And so we turned, a, we turned a little suite area in our home, and we got it prepared for her to move in. And uh, Allison went up. I remember she went up on a, on a, a weekend, and uh, Luke and Karis had come down also to visit her on this. From, they'd come from Nashville. Allison had come from here, and they were all getting together. And, and within a day, all of a sudden, my daughter, I get a call, and my daughter says, Daddy, you need to get here. You need to get here soon. Mimi, that's what we all called her, Mimi has taken a real turn. And so I said, I, I was coming later. I was come, come several days later in the middle of the next week, and we were going to tell her that we were moving her. And Allison said, you have to be the one because she will listen. The preacher gets listened to, you know, and you know, oftentimes the loved one is the enemy. And uh, so I would, uh, so we had planned for me to go in the middle of the week. We were going to pack her up and we were going to bring her down uh, to this room and suite area that we had fixed up for. So, um, so my daughter calls though on, I guess it was Saturday today. You need, you can't wait. You got to get on here. There's been a real dramatic turn. And so I do, I, 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 
I jump in the car. I think, Chuck, you probably preached for me. I, I, I don't even remember. I got somebody to preach. I headed on down there, and we got her in a doctor's appointment. And by this time, she was literally so... Uh, we'd gone from zero to 60 the wrong way. And uh, she'd gone from being able to walk around, take care, feed herself and everything, till I literally had to pick her up and carry her. Uh, and by the way, just a little humor through the midst of all of this. When I would talk with her down there, she would, when I, I could walk in her room and she would say, Oh, hey, Jesus. <laughs> and when Allison walked in the room, she called Allison by the dog's name. And Allison said to me, even then, we'd kind of chuckle, and she said, I do all the work. <laughs> you show up, and you're Jesus. <laughs> and I'm the dog. <laughs> and I told Allison, I said, and don't you forget it. No, I, I, I didn't say that, but we, it was a little bit of humor in, in that whole thing. And, but she went that fast. Let me just kind of fast forward on. And so we took her to the doctor, and the doctor checked her out. And then the doctor told Allison, and I said, we said, we're about to move her to Dothan. The doctor said, he says, she had been to the doctor about a month before and said, hey, told Allison, yeah, she's probably, you know, maybe another year, that sort of thing. This time he says, maybe six weeks. Zero to 60. No point in moving her. It will only complicate it for her. So we thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to have the people in, and Allison was just going to stay there, and I would come back and forth a little bit. Well, by the time we got her home, it had advanced. She had gone even further. And she, um, she became bedridden. And then she became combative. It wasn't her. Some of you have been there. Confused. And um, terribly hard for us to manage. Uh, they brought hosp hospice in. And um, hospice are so good, and they were so good. Her case was so severe, they did something that they, they do not do. They gave us 24-7 care. They had someone there the whole time. Now, she was restless. She wasn't, she wasn't mean. I don't mean that. She was just restless and... She would sit on her bed, and she would go, she'd hold her hands up, and she'd say, Jesus, Jesus, come and be thou my God. Jesus, come be my God. Jesus, come get me and be my God. And we realized at that point, she was seeing something that we weren't seeing. And for a couple of days before hospice even came in, 
well, about three or four days, Alice and I were trying. We weren't sleeping. It was that kind of thing. You couldn't sleep. It was that sort of stuff. And we were literally at the point of exhaustion. And she was saying, Jesus, come. And she did this for several days. Jesus, come. Be my God. Come. Be my God. And after about uh, three days of that, I began to say, Jesus, are you not hearing her? Are you, she, she's begging you, Jesus. Are, are you not hearing her? She's not saying, Jesus, leave me alone. Jesus, make me better. Jesus, she's, not, she's saying, Jesus, just come and be my guide. And I'll be honest. I couldn't figure out why Jesus wasn't answering that prayer. You say, well, was that about your convenience or Allison's convenience? No, not at this stage. We all knew at that moment the best thing that could happen would be for her to be healed by Jesus. She's saying this. She's saying this over. She'll take a break and then she'll say, Jesus... We'd been up for almost two days. And I remember I'd gotten a little bit of a nap. She had settled down. I'd got a little bit of a nap. And I got up the, on this particular morning and I said to Allison, I said, babe, she's resting now. I need to go spend some time with the Lord. Are you okay? And she said, Yes. And so I got in the car and I ran down to a coffee shop and I got me a cup of coffee and I sat down at a table. <clears throat> and I was ashamed that my faith was being rocked. And I said, Jesus, I'm sorry. My faith ought to be stronger. But it's wobbling. Jesus, I don't understand why you haven't heard her prayer. And I know you don't have to tell me. I know you don't have to explain yourself to me. But I don't understand. Jesus, she's begging to come and be with you. And then I just listened. And God spoke. And this is what he whispered, I mean loudly. Do you know what a loud whisper from God is in your heart? And he whispered very loudly. This is what he said. He said, Ray, this is a test. This is not about her. She's okay. This is about you. This is about you. Are you going to trust me? when you don't understand. And the burden was lifted. And I said, oh, yeah, God, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'll shorten the story. But I went back. 
I went back to the house. She, her mother was still resting. And Allison said, did the Lord say anything? I said, yeah. I said, the Lord told me this is about us. It's not about her. She wasn't in pain. There was nothing like that. So she wasn't hurting. It was nothing like that. It was just, God, she's begging to come home. Isn't this what you want? You want at that point in our life for us to be craving to come into your presence? And God said, it's not about her. She's going to be fine. This is about you. This is about you guys, you and Allison, and your faith. It wasn't long after that, not that day, but within, I I guess, a day and a half that God did call her home. But I tell you that story to say to you, when your faith has been rocked, remember God is still God. And I believe it's okay for you to ask him, God, what's going on? But God didn't have to tell me. He was not obligated to tell me. And you may be there right now, and your faith has been rocked because what's happening in your life seems so, it seems so inconsistent with what you believe or know about God, and your faith has been rocked. You have a choice to make. Will you trust him with it all? even when you can't make sense of it. For a little while, for a little while, you grieve. But stand fast, as he said in chapter 5, in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. When you get it, that's okay, right? And when you don't get it, stand fast. God is building your spiritual stamina and your spiritual muscles. Let's pray. Lord, we're so weak. And, Lord, there are parts of the story I just told that are embarrassing to me. As a pastor, as your servant. But I thank you, Lord, that my faith held. And I thank you, Father, that the grief is just for a little while. And that you're working. There are people here today. I'll do something. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Are there some of you in this place today? You lift your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? My faith is being rocked right now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Others all over this room. Yep. Yep. Thank you. You can put them back down. Lord Jesus, thank you. 
you saw, you, you saw all those hands. You, you, know, you know what's going on there. And I pray, God, that their faith will remain strong. I don't know if you're going to give them an answer, Lord, about what's going on. I don't know how that will work out, whatever it is in their lives. But, Father, would you keep their faith strong? Would you, keep, would you help them to remember what you taught me, Lord, that sometimes it's about us, about building faith and building spiritual stamina. So, Lord, would you do that? I pray that for my brothers and sisters who've lifted their hands and saying, that's where I am. And for those who are watching by television and live stream and perhaps listening on radio, God, walk with them. You said this in Isaiah that that you will be with us in the water when we pass through the water and when we we walk through the river that you'll be with us and that you will be with us when we pass through the fire. This world is not our home. And so, Father, we're passing through stuff, but you have left us here and kept us here because you're not finished with us. And so, Father, help us to get it. Help us then, Father, as we face the fiery trials that Peter talked about in our lives, but in our world, our culture, help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon you. I pray that you'd clothe us in the full armor. Now, Father, would you, before we're gone, move in the lives, all of us, Lord, in this place, Some who perhaps their faith is rocked because they really don't have saving faith. They've had religious faith. Today they need you as their Savior. Father, would you, would you move? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? And I'll be here at the front. This altar is open. Your faith may not have been rocked. But you know somebody whose is. Maybe why don't you come and bow? Why don't you just come on right now while I'm talking. You're going to pray for some people. You just come on right now and you kneel and pray. Some of you, there may be some decisions you've got to make. And you want to make the right decision. Come and bow the knee before God. Some of you are in this place and you're not sure that you even have a, a faith that will sustain or save you, and you'd like to trust Christ as your Savior, I invite you to slip out from the balcony or ground floor, and you come and say, Pastor, I need to be sure. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. And maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what? I am sure about that. And I need a church home. I need a church family. And I, I Pastor, I'm just coming because I want, to, I want to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. You slip out. In fact, why don't we do this? Why don't the choir and Aaron sing? And I'm going to ask you, just bow your head reverently, praying, God's people praying before the Lord, listening. If there's some decision for you to make, join Ridgecrest, come and confess Christ as you say, whatever it is, we'll handle it, we'll take it. With heads bowed, choir singing. The altar and the invitation is open. You come on.